Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. So one of the um, uh, things that we're going to talk about as we come to the climax of our series on tough questions that we've called heavyweights is, um, is mental health. And uh, we're really privileged to have film star Rob Waller, um, who's a consultant psychiatrist and uh, uh, one of the founders of Mind and Soul, and actually a very good friend. Rob's known me since I was in my 20s. Just. Five years. Five years. So we've known <laughs> Plus <each other>. 10. <laughs> and uh, is this still working? Yeah, we're still working. So, um, Rob, do you want to just... Um, as we, we're going to have a conversation, okay? So if this feels awkward, tough. Um, but we're just going to talk about um, some of the issues surrounding mental health. So just describe initially, what is mental health? Um, uh, what does that mean? Because it's a, it's a thing that we bandy around quite a lot. Yeah, it's a, fun, it's a funny sort of term, isn't it? Because, um, you know, some people say, oh, I've got, I've got mental health, meaning I've got bad mental health. Some people say I've, I'm mentally healthy. Some people talk about mental illness. I guess if, if we sort of talk about the two ends of that, you've got health, and mental health is no different to, to physical health. You know, health is it's more than just the absence of sickness. It's purpose, it's warmth, it's having a roof over your head, it's, it's having enough to, to, to really enjoy life, it's feeling part of life. So faith and healthy spirituality are part of that. And that, that, that that's, to me, is mental health, physical health, spiritual health, all those things sort of come together. And then you've got different types of illness at the other end. So you've obviously got sort of, you know, spiritual illness. I would call it spiritual death, you know, being, being separated from God. We've got um, physical illness, cancer, that kind of thing, heart, heart disease. And then we've got mental illnesses, schizophrenia, dementia, those, those kind of things. So we're on a spectrum from good mental health through to, to mental illness. In the middle, there's a whole bunch of emotions, um, Depression, anxiety, just the stuff of life, um, a relationship ending, that kind of thing. And so how much of a problem... I mean, if you, if, if you believe the, um, the national press, you would think you know, that this is on the massive increase and, and the mental health problems are huge. What, can you give us an idea of how much of a problem is mental health for, let's say, the National Health Service, or what do you see? Is it increasing as a problem? Yeah, I think, I think again, I think it depends what you're talking about lifelong mental illness or emotions. So, you know, the, the, the prevalence of an illness like schizophrenia, round about 1% of people are going to have a psychotic episode at some point in their life like schizophrenia. Some people go on suffering from, from that with, without a break. That's pretty constant in most countries around the world. It's been pretty constant for the last 100 years as far as we can work out. Um, what has increased is talking about emotions. So perhaps the lid kind of came off in the 1960s and um, people have started talking about things since then. Um, nowadays, as you say, everyone seems to be talking about it, self-harm, celebrities, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of out there. I don't think that the prevalences have gone up perhaps as you might think from the media, but it, it is common, you know, that this one in four figure, that, that one in four people or one person in each family in the land is, is going to have to take some time off work at some point in their life, let's say, is going to feel trapped because of something that they, they, they can't control. They want to control it. They're, there's nothing particular in their life that explains it, but they're, they're suffering from something. And I think that, that sort of one in four figure is a good ballpark. And, 
And so, um, you know, there's, I don't know, a few hundred people in, in the room tonight, and um, I guess one of the questions that many of them would want to ask is, what does the Bible have to say about, I mean, obviously we kind of root and uh, um, boundary everything around what we think God has said and is saying. Mm. So what does, what does the Bible say about mental health and, uh, and some of these challenges that we're talking about? Yeah, it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, like, take a word like schizophrenia or dementia or something like that. If, if you go looking for that in the Bible, um, you're not going to find that in the Bible. Um, same is true of some of the questions you're going to try and answer later on this evening. <laughs> Those things are, are not in the Bible necessarily. So we've got to try and sort of say, well, what is in the Bible? And I think the first thing that's definitely in the Bible is a whole bunch of emotions, ups and downs. The, the Hebrews didn't necessarily talk about the mind. They talk about the heart and issues flowing from the heart. And that was where you communicated with God, was right in your emotions. And even the New Testament, which some people have said is more logical and Greek and that kind of stuff, actually, I think that's them wanting to impose their logic on the New Testament. It's an extremely emotional book. It's full of personal stories, character development. And emotions are writ through the pages. So um, if you look in the Old Testament, you know, people like Jeremiah, you know, profound period of something that... I think we can probably say it was like clinical depression. You know, he, he, was, he was lower than he ought to have been or could have been, if that makes sense. And those profound extremes of emotion are there throughout Scripture. They're not judged. They're just there. And Jesus had so many emotions in the New Testament as well. He wasn't sort of happy the whole time. He, he was sad. He was angry. He was cross. He, he wept. He was joyful. Tell me about one of the things that I, I guess people will often throw at someone like you or someone like me is, you know, um, in, in the New Testament particularly, it seems to talk about evil spirits coming upon people and certain things happening. How much do you uh, attribute um, mental illness to, to that? You know, people, there are different, obviously, spectrums of understanding in the church mm. you know, from here a devil, there a devil, everywhere a devil, devil, so we don't like to talk about the devil. What, what, what do you think about that and mental illness? I mean, there's a sense, isn't there, that everything in the world is the result of the fall, which is the result of the temptation of Adam by mm. Satan. So, you know, at, at one level, everything comes from evil. You know, we, we weren't meant to have these illnesses. We weren't meant to struggle in this way, um, and we won't in the future. So in that sense... Everything is the result of evil. In terms of sort of specific evil sort of beings, demons, or whatever you want to call it, I think that's something that often comes up when I do, do talks like this. And, and usually what I say to people is I say, well, I'm not particularly sure that's good theology, and I'm not particularly sure it's good psychology. And what I mean by that is if you look through New Testament, for example, there's 20, 30 times where there's a specific mention or an encounter of a demon or an evil spirit or something like that. On only one of those occasions does it appear to be anything remotely like a mental illness. The rest of the time it's, it's a physical illness or epilepsy or it's directed at the church leaders or at society. So one of those times, yet no one goes around saying, I mean there's more five or six situations where people have seizures in the New Testament. No one goes around saying epilepsy is caused by demons, do they? So, so I think it's it's bad theology, sort of looking to unexplain something that people don't understand very well and saying, oh, maybe it's a malign spiritual influence. So, so perhaps a more helpful question would be, um, I mean, I guess most of us here would be saying we, we want to look like Jesus, respond like Jesus, behave like Jesus, you know, we are the body of Jesus. Um, how do you, when you read the New Testament, how do you see Jesus dealing with 
people and their emotions or their illnesses, their challenges? Mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say to, to that and how should we respond? Well, Jesus in many ways doesn't necessarily comment or, or, or criticize emotions. And I think I was saying that earlier that, you know, even, even situations in the Bible where, where dark and suicidal thoughts occur are not particularly judged as positive or, or negative. There's a couple of examples where they are, but they're, they're seen as part of the tapestry of life. I mean, Jesus wants everyone to, to be in relationship with him and grow in a relationship with him, but he works with people where they're at. For some people, that meant that he spent some time hanging out with, 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 with prostitutes, and it wasn't immediately, you know, it, 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 was, it was a gradual kind of thing. He loved people where they're at, and I think, I think like I say, Jesus had emotions himself. You know, the, the shortest verse in the Bible is, is Jesus wept. Um, you know, he was profoundly sad, and it's the shortest verse, but as far as we can work out, it went on for quite some time. He was, he was weeping over a friend, and he was inconsolable. So, is having faith in Jesus good or bad for your mental health or indifferent? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm setting you up, perhaps, but, you know, does it, do you see it having any effect on people's mental well-being? Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is yes, it is good for your mental health, um, but it can be bad. So, so for example... Um, how, can, how can it be bad? Show me. Well, let's start off with the bad ones. Okay, let's take a par parallel example. You know, being a church leader, good for your mental health. You know, it, it, you're doing what God wants you to do. You get the opportunity um, to, to lead this church, etc. It's also bad for your mental health because you get pressured into stuff, take too many burdens upon you, etc., etc. So, so it can be really good but it, it can also be quite bad if it's not done in the right kind of way. And likewise, you know, faith is really good. I think it's good practically, you know. Let's get out of our bed once a week and go to church. Let's get up in the morning and read the Bible. Let's pause at lunchtime and do the rooted Lord's Prayer type thing. So structure is good for humans. And now, in that sense, you know, having a Christian faith is no different to playing golf or football or something. Those bring structure as well. So I think the Christian faith is good above and beyond that because you've got these amazing truths. You've got wonderful um, expressions that, that God loves you, that he's your father, that he's for you, that he wants to adopt you, that um, he's making things new, that the bad guys are going to get their comeuppance in the end. There's so many positive truths in Christianity. That, to me, personally is the bit where my faith is really good for my mental health because it's, it's the really positive bit. The other things, I think, are of benefit as well. So, so are you saying that, um, uh, that psychology can help faith and help me with my faith, understanding how I, how I operate and why I operate the way I operate and what's going on? Yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, it's like I was saying, you know, there's, there's some stuff that's not in the Bible. You know? So, for example, if we look at you know, one of these encounters I mentioned where the guy does seem to have mental illness, one of the things I can say very clearly is that whatever is going on in Mark chapter 5, and I'm not quite sure, I don't, personally don't see a single symptom of schizophrenia. Um, so the people I see every single day in my consulting room, that's, he's not one of them. Yes. Um, so I think we've learned an awful lot, psychiatrists have learned an awful, awful lot about different types of mental illness. We can say that's slight obsessionality, whereas that's obsessive-compulsive disorder. So I think, you know, we've learned so much about the brain in the last hundred years. And likewise, we've learned an awful lot about how people change. So psychology is never going to give you your destination. That, that, that comes from God. 
uh, and it's never going to give you your, your reason to change. Again, that, that comes from your worship and your pursuit of God. But it can tell you how to change. You know, there's, there's, in the same way that engineering can tell us how to build a bridge that stands upright, it doesn't tell us why we want to cross the Firth of Forth to the far side, but it tells us how to build a bridge that lasts 100 years. Likewise, psychology can tell us how to change. It can tell us how to get better from obsessive-compulsive disorder. Medication can help change our brains in, in depression, in schizophrenia, so that we're able to make the, the fine-tuning, if you like. So we shouldn't be afraid of psychology, psychiatry, because there's an awful lot of really good knowledge come out of that. Just, just talk for a minute to you about some of the more obvious extreme illnesses that people, maybe some of the guys here are, are currently experiencing or have friends who are experiencing right now, um, schizophrenia, dementia. Tell us about how um, we uh, posture ourselves towards those illnesses, what's going on really, um, how, how does faith interact with, with that stuff, and, and I, mean, I guess even how as a church do we respond well Mm-hmm. Um, to people who are struggling with those illnesses. Yeah. I mean, there's some things that are, are, are more obvious. So when someone's suffering from dementia, it becomes obvious. Perhaps it's not at the beginning when it's forgetfulness and people can sure. put on a, a social facade, but it, it becomes obvious. Likewise, severe schizophrenia, when, when someone is having a really bad period of depression, th- th- those things are, are physically obvious. Um, and I think the first thing is, actually, I, actually, I think the church is okay perhaps better at those things than, than some of the more hidden illnesses, like eating disorders, let's say. Sure. So I think we're actually okay at welcoming people in, about um, letting people come to services, about, um, you know, on Sunday, I think we're okay at that. What perhaps we're not quite so good at is seeing that person fully as a perfectly normal mainstream human being, saying, don't just come on Sunday, come along to small group. Sure. Um, saying, can I pray with you, can I talk to you? So I think that it's going that step beyond... Um, the, the, the church has always been good at work with the poor and the distressed and the suffering. It's, it's taking it to the next stage and actually really working out what full fellowship means in those situations. Um, t- tell me um, how we can help. So I guess, I guess there's a whole spectrum in this room right now of people who would say they were mentally very healthy right now, mm-hmm. Um, people who have some levels of anxiety, concern, some people who may be on medication. Yep. Um, how, how, if we really want to be an inclusive community that really cares for every individual and really has access for everybody, mm. um, maybe just one or two things that we could begin to think about and, and, and do. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, the first thing is to have a session like this, isn't it? Which is, um, you know, we have sessions in, in the sermon series on, I don't know, um, elections and social responsibility and voting. You know, we'll have sessions on um, money management and debt and the CAP Centre in this church that does some great work. You know, I think mental health is a, is a massive kind of sort of thing in people's lives today in, in our city as well. So I think to have a session on it, is, is really important to say, do you know what, this is something that we want to talk about in church. It's, it's not something that you know, doesn't happen here because we're nice British people and we don't have emotions. We've had a sort of emotionectomy somehow. And if you do have an emotion, it's the sort of happy, full of Jesus kind of sort of, oh, isn't everything wonderful kind of emotion. So, so let's have some bad news stories, if that's the right word, as well as some good news stories. You know, we talk about testimonies where everything's transformatory and goods come through in the end and people have been healed and fixed. 
You look in the Bible, you read Psalm 88, it ends up with the words, darkness is my only friend. You know, there's no resolution in Psalm 88. It's depressing. And God is in it. So, So let's have these kind of conversations where a range of emotions are expressed and allowed to be and allowed to walk. Um, people say things like, um, oh, you know, you ought to forgive people because Jesus has forgiven you. But sometimes it takes a long time to forgive someone. You know, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive me um, as I have been forgiven, as two letters. It can take years, you know, to forgive childhood experiences. So just because we've got a model for forgiveness doesn't mean that we should suddenly sort of snap into line and um, leave our brains at the door and, and, and just forgive people. So I think just to, to raise the issue. And one of the things that we're really keen on on this church is giving people tools to, to help them walk through life so they don't have to come to an expert like me or to you mm-hmm. or to whoever's the current expert. Uh, and you've done, you've done that. You've got some, some tools to help people begin to think through these things, question some things. And do you want to just talk us through some of those, those tools? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few. I mean, I'll be out the back in the foyer afterwards um, willing to sort of chat a little bit. But, I mean, clearly I'm not going to sort of start seeing everybody in this room and answering all the questions in that room. So it needs to go, it needs to go somewhere else. Um, there's a couple of things. So there's a slide with some, some books on it. Um, and there's, there's a couple of books that myself and Will van der Hart, who is one of the, the chaps on the video, have, have written. And one's about worry and, and one's about guilt. And they are there as two examples of things that either tend to get over-spiritualized. You know, Jesus said, don't be anxious. Christians shouldn't be guilty. They should be forgiven. Um, and, you know, as Christians, we can feel guilty if we still worry or if we still struggle with guilt. And um, likewise, you know, they can be over-psychologized. So, you know, psychologists can sort of say, well, you know, we've got tools to worry or why are you feeling guilty? It's just religion that makes you feel guilty. Get rid of your religion. You won't feel guilty anymore. You know, I mean, I'm being trite to a certain extent, but both of these books try and take a joint theological and psychological approach to it. So if, if it's people here who are struggling with worries, anxieties, feeling guilty, even when they know they're forgiven, feeling far away from God. I mean, it's, it's so true, isn't it, that, you know, true guilt, when we've done something wrong, and true forgiveness draws us to God. It makes us feel welcomed, loved. False guilt is it's not a spiritual thing. It's a psychological thing. It niggles in the background. It, it, it drives you away from God. It makes you feel less worthy to be adopted. And I personally think, you know, false guilt is something that should be approached through psychology, not, not through the cross. True guilt is, is the cross. And it's, it's trying to have both those discussions at once. Quite difficult. So there's a couple of chunky books out there for people to want to read if they want to get into it. In, in terms of sort of quicker quicker stuff, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, there's some books which the, the postman has let us down, but if, if you're a student, um, or indeed anyone who thinks they have similar kinds of issues to students, which I guess is a lot of people at the service tonight, there's this book which is published by Fusion, who are one of the big sort of student people who Gawa works for part-time, and she's ordered a bunch of these. Now the postman has let us down, but these, I've got three out the back, so if you think this is your mission on campus, come and talk to me afterwards and you can get one of the three. Um, but there are a watch coming which we can get next week. And what they are is they are just 40 pages on 40 topics. 
really simple stuff to help students do mission and emotions, to support fellow students on university, to um, spot stuff, to look after their own emotional and mental health as they're growing up. So there's a bunch of stuff in there for students. That's brilliant. We, we are um, really delighted, honoured and blessed to have this guy as part of our congregation and doing the stuff that you do. And those books are brilliant. And I've heard so many people saying how blessed they've been by reading that stuff and spending time with you. So let's, uh, let's say thank you to Rob um, for what he does and for giving us some input to have tonight. So, yeah. video. Yeah, we have time for that. We're going to, in, in just a moment, we're going to um, have Suzanne up, who's our, um, our counsellor, our pastoral counsellor in the church, just to talk about how counselling, how you can get help with, with some of the questions that you might have. Um, and then we're going to interview a couple of guys who, um, who want to tell their story about the way in which um, mental health challenges um, are, are being and have been addressed and uh, some of the, the journey they're walking through right now. But we're just going to watch... Um, a brief uh, video as um, our, my, my Jonathan Ross uh, sofa friends are going to change during the video. Brilliant. So there's a, a resource for you and a place for you to, um, for all of us to, to go to. This is um, Suzanne Batan, and Suzanne has had the privilege of working with me for a long time. A long time. <laughs> and, uh, it's been that good, eh? Yes. Um, Suzanne is our pastoral counsellor and she runs um, a, a, a counselling service um, in this church building which sees loads and loads of people. How many, how many clients would you yeah. see? We, um, in the last year we've seen a thousand client hours in the year. Wow. So I suppose that works out about 20 so uh, we would, I guess, in churches often talk about Christian counselling. Um, well, I mean, what, in the words of my teenage daughter, what even is that? Um, and uh, and how, can it, how can it help um, some of these guys? Um, well, Christian counselling is counselling with God at the centre. So I think the, the significant difference would be that both the counsellor and the client has God as central to their way of being, their way of thinking. Um, It isn't a bypass for exploring issues of humanity, concerns of humanity. It is a holistic approach for somebody who comes where they have issues of their humanity and of their spiritual nature, and God is central in the dialogue. And and what kind of people use this this counselling service, and what kind of issues do you... Uh, challenges, um, illnesses, or, or um, situations do you see on a regular basis? Well, I, I was just thinking when Rob was speaking there, I'd say that probably the counselling service is kind of somewhere there in the middle of the um, sort of more extreme. So schizophrenia and psychotic issues, we would be, if we were working at all with that, we would be doing so in, in conjunction with the psychiatrist or the psychologist. But lots of people that use the counselling service, probably most, are not actually struggling with a clinically diagnosed mental health issue, but they are struggling with issues of life. Um, and that's where we um, can offer, I suppose that's where our heart is to offer the the support um, done well. Counselling offers a place of unconditional acceptance 
of no judgment. It is not the counsellor's place to judge what they're hearing, but to help, to facilitate the client explore what they're struggling with. And if I could just say, I think one of the, the big issues in a church, we've heard in testimonies today how church is very often one of the most difficult places to come to, uh, particularly where we're looking at things like uh, anxiety and depression. Kate Middleton on the film actually made mention to it, of it. It's difficult to come. But the, the, the privacy or the safety of a counselling, a safe room with one person that you grow to build a therapeutic relationship with, hopefully that is a place to explore that is part of the church. I, I guess there may be some people here who are thinking, you know, I know, or someone in my family has an, uh, an obvious challenge, an obvious maybe an illness or a struggle uh, or suffers from depression, or, mm. and, and I just don't know how to talk to them. I don't know what to say. I feel paralyzed. I feel like I can't communicate. I feel like I'm being rude. I feel like I'm going to intrude. Could you just maybe just for a minute give some thoughts and advice around that? You know, how do we, how do we helpfully respond and how do we not? What do we say and what do we not say? Well, I think um, we don't say, you know, get a grip, pull up your socks or whatever. We want to be compassionate to recognise that we possibly don't understand what their experience is, but we can see that something has happened to them, perhaps over a period of time or perhaps quickly, that has caused um, a dysfunction in life. So I think we want to be careful um, to get alongside them, to be their friend, but not to take on the weight of their problem, of their concern, because we cannot carry it for another. We can be their friend, but we can't carry it. Also, the counsellor doesn't carry it, but it, the counsellor helps the person to explore. So I'd say, um, you know, in our family situations, in our friendship situations, encouraging people to use services that are available. So our, that's how a lot of our referrals come, is through word of mouth. People in the church, um, and then as people come through the service, they refer on. We, we do get referrals from GPs, from, um, from the websites, etc. But it is where people have experienced um, a transformation, where they have actually changed where there is fundamental movement within in how they think, in how they behave, um, and also in, therefore, in their relationship with God, if they're Christians, because depression and anxiety skew your perspective of everything, including your relationship with God. So um, refer people to those, that, to somebody that can help. Um, take them out. Just say, what about going for a walk? What about going to a movie? Whatever it is, the the a kind of gentle friendship, almost nothing that's going to nothing that's going to shake them up, but something that will take them from a place of very often being reclusive into the wider uh, community. It's um it's massively helpful to have the counselling service at the heart of our church. So we're incredibly grateful. Um, to you for what you do and uh, if, you, if you would love to access that service you can do that through 
uh, through Suzanne and um, uh, on the website and, and, and on the website. And here. My two friends here, Ellie and Brona. Ellie reckons Brona's first. Let's Take see time. if that's true. <laughs> Ellie's in charge, apparently. Um, Brona, um, can I sit there? Because I, all I can see is the baptistry. Yeah, you can sit there if you like. It's amazing how little control I have over anything that goes on in this place. We like control. You'll find okay. out. Yeah, good. Um, Brona, just um, tell us something of your story. My understanding, I mean, you, your, your father has or had and has a mental illness. And um, what did that feel like growing up? And what effect did that have on you and on your story? Yeah, um, I'm a bit of a double award winner um, in a family member of sufferer and sufferer. Um, and I guess the whole story with me and mental health started like from day one. Um, my name means sorrow and I was named that by my bipolar father. Um, don't know how much he thought that through. Um, but yeah, it, it had a massive effect on, on my childhood, um, on how I perceive God as well. Um, and especially when you're a kid, you, you grow up and what you know of family is your own family. Um, and when you get a bit older, you realize, like, although no family can be normal, like breaking into your father's house age 15 to make sure he's eating and providing groceries is not normal. Getting a text from him telling me he's on a flight to Brazil, not normal. Um, but like, it really affected how I looked at God as well, in that like, my mum was away working a lot and my dad was somewhere that wasn't present, even if he was there in front of you. Um, so how could I conceive of, of a constant, loving father, God, when all I'd known was this? And how could I learn to be a child of God whenever I was never really allowed to be a child? I looked after my dad and I looked after my sister um, because my parents couldn't really. And, and yeah, so growing up, trying to understand that, trying to understand that I didn't want to be like him as much as people told me that we were so similar and we looked so alike. Like, the last thing I wanted to do was become my father. So I put a lot of control in my life. I wanted to be in control of things. I wanted to be on top of things. Um, and yeah, it, it affected my journey because I would have said like even a year ago that my journey personally with mental health began a couple of years ago. But now delving into my past, I found out that I lost some of my hair when I was five from anxiety. Um, I stopped sleeping properly when I was about 12. Um, in the last four years of school, I just didn't do any academic work because it was like one of the only things I could control when my parents were getting divorced. I was having to look after my dad and my sister and my mum. And, you know, so mm. bringing that control in has definitely been something that's been there the whole time. And, and how are you now? Yeah, I'm all right now. I wasn't for a while in my fourth year of uni. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, everything was... It's when we talk about, like, situational stuff of, like, relationship breaks up where we lose someone, we lose a job. My life was great. I had great friends, great family great uni, but I, I just stopped being able to do life. Um, and I think that's one of the most 
upsetting things about this stuff is it really robs the basics of life. Like I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't concentrate, I, could, I couldn't bring conversation, I couldn't, I couldn't get up, I couldn't go to class. All these things that seem so fundamental and so simple just became impossible. Um, or see, like, seemed impossible and seemed like such a burden. Um, I didn't, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but I sought medical attention, I sought counselling, um, and I came, kept coming to church and persevering, even though it, it can be a really tough place whenever you feel like week on week you're coming for prime ministry and people have so much faith for healing and you're just like, oh, but where is it? So why? And you can often put it on yourself as well. Um, but I'm very glad to say that I'm not in that place at the moment. Um, I'm still probably quite an anxious person. I still don't sleep very well. But I know myself more and I know, I know God more as well. I know I am a child of God. I know that I'm loved. I know that he has plans and purposes for me. So even when I don't know the details and that freaks me out, I know that he has been there with me and he will continue to be. Um, and I think, yeah, that knowledge of myself, knowledge of my behavior, knowledge of who God is and who I am in God has massively helped that. Wow. Brian, thank you so much. We'll come back to you in just, just a moment. Ellie, um, Tell us just a little bit about your story, because your story is a story from a very early age of knowing the, or, or experiencing some depression and some anxiety. Tell us about that anxiety and, and what that looked like. Um, can you hear? So I grew up quite an anxious child. Um, I remember, even at quite a young age, being convinced that my parents loved my brother more than me. Um, they didn't, but I'd convinced myself of that. And even though I had lots of friends at school... I would cry myself to sleep thinking that you know, no one really liked me and I just had such low self-worth um, even as a very young child. Uh, that sort of carried on into teenage years. Um, I learned how to maybe manage it or mask it from myself a little bit better, partly when I discovered alcohol, partly when I discovered boys. Um, and those, that sort of thing combined served to boost my self-esteem but it never really... I yeah, I guess it, it, didn't, it really didn't help because it, it was almost like a drug hit of every time you wanted a bit more to make you feel a bit better. Um, so that was sort of normal for me growing up, I think. Tell us, tell us about how did your family respond? Did they see that, notice mm -hmm. that? How did they respond to that? And, and where eventually did God, yep. church, come mm -hmm. into the equation? Um, so initially, I don't know how much my family were aware of things. Things, for me, reached a breaking point in um, sixth form. I was doing A-levels and I was taking theology. I'd grown up in a loosely Christian family. We'd attended church a bit. Um, I knew the Bible stories pretty well, so I figured theology is going to be a breeze. I'll just tell all the Bible stories and it'll be great. Um, but it wasn't like that. It was very much... Um, about real people following a real God and you know their works and what they'd done with their lives and as I read this I began to really think this stuff through and I thought hang on this this God isn't just something maybe up in the sky that doesn't really have much bearing on my life he's real and yeah I bit 
I slowly began to get more and more anxious until eventually I started having full-on blown-out panic attacks about God. Um, and like I said, I came from relatively unchurched background. Um, no one had really explained the gospel to me or what that would mean in my life. Um, and so in my head, this God that I was learning about was this punitive perfectionist who demanded perfection from me, which I knew I could never give. Um, and so the anxiety really came out of that, and it got to the stage where I was having panic attacks several times a day, every day. Um, that, was, that was pretty rubbish, if I'm honest. Um, and that went on for about six months, um, during which time my mum was amazing. She's a doctor, not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it meant that she had enough understanding not to freak out. Um, but it got to a stage eventually where she said, I think, I think you need to see a specialist about this because I can't help you get better. I can only support you in this. Um, and I didn't want to go and see a specialist. Um, I thought no one, has, no one normal has problems like this. No one else has panic attacks thinking they're going to die and go to hell or thinking that every time there's a funny cloud in the sky, that's Jesus coming back to the ju judge them. I honestly thought I was going mad. Um, and that if I went to see a specialist straight away, they would label me as mad and put me in an asylum. Um, but mum frog marched me there. And he was great, actually. I don't think he was a Christian. Um, but he explained that I had something called panic disorder, which was apparently very common in girls my age. Um, it was the opposite of madness, because madness is not an awareness of reality, whereas I had almost a hyper-awareness of reality, a hyper-awareness of the fact that I could die. Um, and he referred me for counselling. Again, didn't want to go to counselling. Only loonies went to counselling. Um, but my counsellor was actually amazing. She wasn't a Christian, but she was everything Suzanne was talking about, very warm, um, empathic, non-judgmental. And she helped me to work through a lot of the stuff that had caused this um, the fact that my parents had broken up at quite a young age and I'd become estranged from my father and that I couldn't conceive of a God that wasn't a perfectionist um, and wasn't trying to punish me. Um, so, yeah, I started, started going to counselling. That was really helpful. Um, and around that time, I started engaging a bit more with God. It wasn't just an academic subject. I went to... There was a little CU of about three people at school. Um, I started going to that, and um, there was a... A very nice teacher there who said, oh, you know, if you're interested, you should, you should come on this camp that I help lead worship on. Um, and I said, hmm, yeah, okay, I'll, th I'll think about that. Um, because if I'm honest, the last thing I wanted to do was spend a week in a forest with a bunch of Christians. Um, but my innate British ability to n inability to say no to things meant that I ended up there. And it was horrific, honestly. It was just the worst thing ever. I'd never seen charismatics before. I grew up at Methodist boarding school and there were all these people prancing around, muttering under their breath and, you know, during the singing and I just didn't get what was going on and I was terrified that this was just going to make me feel like an even worse Christian um, now that I was trying to do this Christian thing that they would just say, oh, you know, you need to be a nun or a missionary or something like that to be acceptable to God. Um, but then a few days into it, I'd stuck it out somehow, um, this guy got up and he said, you know, if there's anybody here who feels like they could n never be loved by God, they could never be good enough for God, um, then you know what? This, this day he's really saying to you, actually, that's not true. I not only love you, but I like you. Um, and that for me flipped things on its head. 
And that was where church came in and actually God came in. And God was no longer persecuting me and about to smite me any moment. He was in my mental health with me. Um, What followed was probably the best year of mental health I've ever had. It hasn't stayed that way. Um, I the anxiety returned pretty much with a vengeance and depression with it while I was at university. But like I said, God was with me in it then, um, rather than, whereas before I'd seen him as causing it and persecuting me, I, I knew that he was my loving father and I was a child of his. And no matter how, how bad things got in my head, nothing could take me out of his hands. Great. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing. Um, final question, and you got to answer this with one sentence, okay? Um, what advice would you give to anyone in this room, whatever age and stage they are, who are struggling with mental health issues? Um, so you've got one sentence of advice to give them, starting with Ellie. Okay. I think my one sentence would be to consider what you would say if it was a physical illness. You wouldn't tell people to buck up their ideas if they had a broken leg and just try walking on it. Um, and that sort of thing. You wouldn't tell a diabetic that they don't need insulin um, because they should just have more faith. Mm. You would let them get on with it, you'd pray for them and you'd support them. And I guess that would be my thing. That was a brilliant and long sentence. Sorry. It's very good. <laughs> Brian, what about you? I'm that, trying to work whoa, 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 whoa. my punctuation. That, that's the first time I've ever heard Bronan not know what to say. I like grammar, so I want to do this well. Okay, go for it. Um, but I'm not going to. So I'm just... Can we pretend there's a colon rather than a full stop? Go, just go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Get help. Colon. Colon. <laughs> Now, this is where the rules of semicolon and colon come in as well. Um, but <laughs> get help, colon or semicolon, I'll research later. Um, f- the right help for you. Explanation of that sentence uh, being that medicine is not the opposite of, of prayer and faith. Yes. And that I didn't find the right counselling for me whenever I was looking for it, but I know that it's out there, and I wish that I'd, I'd found it and kept going. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, actually, that's a lie. Talking about it is my, my biggest thing, so I scrapped that last one. Well... Wasn't that good? Um, we're very, very privileged to have um, uh, people who are willing just to tell their story and to talk with um, honesty and uh, vulnerability and transparency about what's going on in their lives. Um, God um, is here, and he's with us, and he walks with us, and he understands our hearts and our heads and uh, he knows what's going on with you. And he knows what's going on with me. And he's a God of incredible love. And a God of healing. And uh, so I'd love to pray for us. And uh, we're going to frame the whole of this discussion um, with worship. Not because we want to go, wasn't that interesting, now let's have a happy clappy time. 
but because we want to say, God, you're the first and you're the last. You hem us um, before and behind. You're within the whole thing. You don't abandon us. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I lay my head in the depths, you're there. In my best moments and in my worst moments, you're there. I cannot escape you. I can't get away from you. You created my inmost being, which is our emotions, our intellect, our passions, our dreams. Um, and you know my end from my beginning. You formed me in my mother's womb. You say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, even though I don't always think it and feel it. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, you've got it. You hold it. So it's to this God that we come and pray. And it's to this God that we sing and declare, even when we don't feel like it, that you are there because you have said you're there. And because in the past I've experienced you being there. It's to this God that we come. So let's just ask God the Holy Spirit to come and minister to our hearts and our heads, our emotions, the whole of us. Let's just ask him to come. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. The God of the whole of our life, the end from the beginning, the God who sees us, the God who is the perfect judge, the perfect lover, the perfect friend. We ask you to come now. And we ask you to minister to our thoughts and to our emotions, to our health in every way, shape, and form. And bring your wholeness, and bring your acceptance, and bring your love. Father, help us to continue to wrestle with some of these big questions of life, knowing that we will find you there, wrestling alongside us. Help us above all to know your presence and your power, your touch and your heart. We thank you that you're the God who is there. Yeah.